This message is called Turned, Freed, and Changed. And it's the call of God on all of our lives. Turned, Freed, and Changed. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I want you to pray with me this morning. I want you to pray for your own soul, not in terms of being justified or saved, but in terms of experiencing the fullness of God within. You need to be turned, you need to be free, and we need to be changed. So Father, we're not satisfied with just turning to Christ. We're not satisfied, Lord, with just being free from all the things that you free us from. We thank you for that. But Lord, we cannot be satisfied until the change comes. And Lord, we know that it comes by degrees. So we're hungering and praying and believing today for that next degree of transformation into the likeness of the one we're in love with. We want to be more like your son. Jesus, we want to behold your glory. We want to be transformed into your likeness. So work powerfully and intentionally this morning to that end. Help all who are hungry and the ones that aren't hungry. Give them the scent of what you can do so they'll begin to hunger. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can be seated. So these verses are the end of a, a longer chapter in which the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And he is, has been comparing his ministry with the ministry of Moses, the New Testament message of grace with the Old Testament law of Moses. And he has been calling people to press into Jesus in order to experience change. But he's giving us these, these pictures of, of Moses and a veil. He doesn't mention Moses specifically here, but he's referring to the book of Exodus chapters 32, 33, and 34. And if you'll go back and read those chapters later today, this may make a little bit more sense to you but let me condense what those chapters teach and how Paul unpacks it before I get to these three verses. In Moses' day in Israel, it was only Moses that could speak with God in one-to-one -one encounter, only Moses. Moses had the inestimable privilege of speaking to God in one-to-one -one encounter. And when Moses met with the Lord, Moses, he would go into the tabernacle, Moses would come out and his face would radiate 
the glory of the Lord. I spent two hours outside playing water volleyball yesterday, and I felt like I was going to have a, 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 an illustration today because of the sun on my face. But any sunburn we've ever had, any bright countenance we've ever had, nothing to compare with Moses supernaturally glowing, radiating from his encounters in the tabernacle as he was in the presence of the Lord. So Moses would come out of those encounters, and he would do something a little strange to us, not to Israel, but to our senses. It's weird. Moses would walk around daily with a veil covering his face. Um, some would say that because the, radiation, the radiating brilliance of his face was too much for them to bear. But Paul hints at another reason also that that glow would begin to fade over time. And Moses didn't want the people to see the, the, the glow of the glory of the Lord fading from off his face, so he veiled it. Now, when Moses would go back the next time to meet with the Lord in the tabernacle, he would once again take off the veil, meet with the Lord. He would receive again that amazing, just stupefying encounter with the Lord. And so as he comes back out, he would put the veil on. Now, that veil serves, with New Testament understanding, serves to, to paint a picture of a burial between the people of Israel and their God. Moses was their mediator at that time, and Moses would be as a spokesman unto the people, but there was a veil, a barrier between the people and the glory of God. Now, 1,600 years later, the Apostle Paul is writing the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians, and Paul is now using this illustration of Moses' veil as a symbol to Israel's blindness to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. He's saying earlier in chapter number three that there's a veil on their minds, there's a veil on their hearts that they don't see Jesus nationally in Israel as Messiah, and their hearts have become hardened. Their minds have become hardened. And they are blinded. There's a barrier, again, between Israel and God. Their hearts were fully veiled. And because of that, they were separated from the fullness of God that God was welcoming them to encounter in Jesus Christ. Israel and all unbelievers were blinded. They were veiled. Now, Paul declares something about you in this passage. Paul speaks about you and every other Christian when he says, we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. In Jesus Christ, the veil has been taken off of you. There is no barrier between you and God. There is no veil in the temple to keep you from going in. There is no veil on the face to keep you from going in. Through Christ, you can stand and be and live and operate in the presence and the glory of God. And what is beautiful about this passage is it tells us that there is a process involved by which we grow in degree of this experience of the glory of God. And so what that does for the modern believer is it says this, you're not finished yet. You're not done yet. You may have experienced the greatest moments that you have ever had, anybody's ever had with the Lord, but I'm going to tell you, the more you experience of him, the more you want to experience more of him. You just want to keep, and I call this all the time, you hear me talk about pressing in, pressing in, pressing in. It is what it sounds like. You're just saying, more, Lord, more, Lord, more, Lord, because you are convinced that he is so gloriously good, 
so immeasurably great and so open an offering of himself to you, you can't help but to say, I want to be changed further into your glory, into your image. And so Paul highlights some of this in three verses. I'm going to give it to you in a cause and effect. I told you earlier that I'm a linear thinker. I love cause and effect, and I've got three different causes and three different effects in this message, and I want to begin in verse number 16 with what I call the cause and effect of kingdom revelation. Here we go again. Paul says, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. That is a theological and a doxological statement. And yet it is a statement. It's not a suggestion and it's not a mandate. It's not a a command. It's a statement. This is what happens. When a person turns unto the Lord, when a person receives Jesus Christ, all of that spiritual blindness, all of that barrier, that separation between them and their creator, Father God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in an instant of time, when that time is marked by your faith or my faith or the faith of another, that we are, we are literally unveiled before the Lord. What does that mean? What are the results? What are the consequences of that? Well, your relationship with the Father through Christ qualifies you to communicate with Him. Now, please don't shrug this off. Get the import of what's being said here. The veil is removed, and so you have access unto the Lord You are welcomed into his very presence. You are given an unparalleled privilege that in the Old Testament, the high priest only once a year had the privilege of enjoying to go into the Holy of Holies and into the presence of the Lord. And yet now, wherever you are, whoever you are in Christ, you have open communication with the God of the universe. Now, friends, I know that is so big and so high and so up there that we're yearning. Bring it down to us, Jeff. Well, that's a great headline, but what does that look like? That means you have his ear. He listens to you. That means that if you give him your ear, you will hear him. That if you will seek his face, you will hear eventually his voice. Now, it may not be with the audible ear. I do believe that God can and does speak audibly to certain people. I've never heard an audible voice in 20 plus years of walking with him. But I'm going to tell you, I don't need the audible voice because he speaks inwardly so clearly that I, I don't have to wonder, was that him or not? See, friends, the veil has been taken away. When you turn to Jesus Christ, there's nothing, no barrier that God constructs that keeps you at a distance from him. Now, we're going to come back to this because we have all experienced that sense of distance from God. But I want to say, clarifying at the beginning, it's not because he's re-erected a barrier. No, he, he sent his son to live, to die to rise and to ascend so that there would never be a barrier between you and him. You and I have a role to play in this, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But I want to promise you something. God will never put a barrier between he and his children, never again. So moving forward, the second thought on this cause and effect of kingdom revelation is that those who have not received Christ live with a barrier between God and themselves all of the time, 24-7. Um, You can be church-oriented, you can be moral, 
You can be as right wing as you want to be because a lot of people seem to think God's a right winger and they're just unbiblical in their thinking. Uh, God's much better than a right winger. We don't hijack Yahweh for our political purposes, but you can be as right wing as you want, as moral as you want. You can be as disciplined as you want. You can be as religious as you want. But until you turn to Christ in brokenness and submission and surrender, there is a barrier between you and God and it's an insurmountable barrier on your end. So when we think about this, why, why don't we try to modify people's behavior here at Newbridge Church? Why don't we tell them how to look and how to dress and what to say and what to drink and what not to drink and what to eat and where to go and what version of translation or scripture they ought to carry and why don't we modify their behavior? Why don't we just, why don't we press in on them? Because behavioral modification does nobody any good, especially those that have not yet turned to Christ and have the veil removed. You see, we go for the heart. The beautiful thing about being a Christian is this, is yes, there's a place for us to be discipled and helped and to have somebody walk us through complexities in the Christian life. But the beautiful thing is, is that when you get saved, you have the greatest and most capable teacher living within you 24-7. So we, you don't need religious leaders manhandling you in the kingdom or people trying to manipulate you. You, you, you just have the freedom to go before the Lord and say, Lord, uh, I, I need wisdom because God says, yeah, if you ask for wisdom, I'll give it to you liberally. And so when we think through these things, I think about all of those that, that in churches that can be made merchandise of. We try to modify them on the outside when the Lord whispers over the ages. Sometimes he roars it over the ages. He says, please don't change their behavior in my name. Proclaim my name and I will change their heart. If you're here today, and I'm so glad that you are, but you may be. It's possible there are some here today that were very much like me. I was in church from birth, from the womb until age 14. And I prayed a, a prayer that they told me to pray. And I got baptized like they told me to get baptized. And I went through the motions, but I never turned to the Lord. I was 24 years old and had to come to the rock bottom end of myself before in brokenness I turned to the Lord. And I promise you, I know the moment where the veil was removed because everything began to change. Friends, if you're here today, we would never want you to just join a church. We would never want you to try to fit in in the way that religious people might make you fit in. We want you to come as you are and come as who you are, but we would make no apology in proclaiming in love and boldness that Jesus Christ is your only hope, and apart from him, church will do nothing for you, nor your baptism, nor any kind of moral code. But if you will turn to Jesus Christ, he'll take that veil off your face, and you'll begin to see who he is and what life is all about. And we encourage you to do that this very day. So when believers remain face to face with the Lord, this is communion. When believers remain face to face with the Lord, communication is unhindered. Now watch this. If a believer turns from the Lord, that communication is veiled or it is stifled, so to speak. Now, what does that mean? I told you earlier, God will never re-erect a barrier between you and him. But, but you, as, you and I both know that we have a tendency to stray. We're all capable of straying. Nobody can come to the Lord completely on their own, but all of us can walk away completely on our own if we choose to. But I'm talking about those times where we let things get in the way. It's usually a season of straying. It begins with a distraction. It begins with a, a, a lessening of our pursuit of the Lord. Things creep in and unguarded moments we might surrender to temptations of various kinds. And it, it can work a lot of different ways, but that's when the veil comes on. 
And that's really what I want to talk again, uh, talk to you about today as believers. I'm not talking about the veil of lostness and, and, and complete uh, isolation from God. I'm talking about the believer who has come to Jesus Christ, and yet now in her life, she, has, she or he has stepped away in some way, and now a veil is there, and, and God, the vision of God is blurry or dull or dimmed. And so when we're looking at this, I, I, I want to touch that part of the Christian through the voice of Moses, through the testimony of Moses. When you study the life of Moses, especially in chapters number 33 and 34 of the book of Exodus, this is what you find him saying. I mean, he's been walking with the Lord a long time through some incredible difficulty, through some um, unparalleled miracles. But now through the, the, the low and the high and the good and the bad and the ordinary and the extraordinary, in chapter 33, you find Moses in verse 11 saying this. This isn't going to be in your notes on the screen. Just listen. The Bible says of Moses, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Brothers and sisters, if that's not the description I want on my relationship with the Lord, I don't know what a better one is. That God and I would be able to have those encounters that are described as God saying, Jeff is my friend. Yes, he's my God, obviously. But from God's side, Jeff, you're a friend to me. Abraham was the friend of God. Moses spoke to God as a man speaks to his friend and vice versa. Exodus chapter 33 and verses 15 and 16. Listen to this. Moses is talking to God. Listen to the hunger in his voice. If your presence does not go with me, do not bring your people up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people, if it is not you going with us? You see, Israel has been sent on a journey, and Moses is coming back to the Father, and he's saying, I'm willing to go on this journey, but not if you're not going. It's just the heart cry of a child who's beholding the glory of the Lord. Lord, I don't want to do anything without you. It touches something in us. It, it fosters a longing in us. And yet, when, when we have raised up something that serves as a veil between us and our vision of the Lord, we lose that hunger. We lose that sense of the, the quest for deeper intimacy. Moses is describing that. Then, of course, he says famously in chapter 33, verse 18, Moses says to the Lord, Please show me your glory. There is not a greater request that can be asked of a human being to God. The greatest thing God can ever do for a human being is for God to reveal himself to that human being. And Moses, and remember, when Moses started this close walk with the Lord, it started at a burning bush. Do you remember that? And the the thing that Moses did when he recognized that he was in the presence of God those 40 years earlier, he said, when he realized it was God, the Bible says that Moses hid his face from God. That Moses did not want to see God, and yet now as God has drawn him out and matured him and showed him uh, what it means to be shepherded by a loving, faithful father, now Moses has completely changed. He's not cowering from the presence of God. He's saying, more please, more Lord. It's the essence of worship. The essence of our relationship with the Lord is that as we journey with him, our heart cry is never, this is good enough. It is always more more lord show me more reveal yourself more i want to taste that glory lord in chapter 34 and verse 9 moses says it again and then i'm going to move on if now i have found favor in your sight O lord please 
go in the midst of us. Moses said, Lord, if I'm one of your favored ones, then do this for me. Stay right in the center of things. Go in the midst with your people. You see, the cause and effect of kingdom revelation is the more you see of him, the more you want to see. And the Holy Spirit will send off flares in your mind, your emotions, even in your body at times. He will send off flares when you're stepping out, when you're drawing away, when you're pulling back, where you're sliding backwards. The Holy Spirit will say, no, I tore down the veil. Don't raise one up of your own making keep beholding the glory of your king. So secondly, second cause and effect, the cause and effect of his presiding presence. All of these are going to sound so similar, but let's, let's, let's break them up. Let me just say this very quickly. We've got such a diverse uh, congregation. I just, when I stepped back off the stage after that last song, I just watched worship. And I was just rejoicing. My face hurt because I couldn't quit smiling. And I was like, man, we are black and white and Asian and Latino. We are younger. We are older. I know enough of you to know that there's a lot of things that we probably don't see eye to eye on and y'all don't see eye to eye on. But in that one moment, we were just such solidarity. I was loving that. But, but here's one of the other differences. Some of you want a prophetic word all the time. You, you, you want something, you want rhema, you want something fresh, you want it to be, come on man, close your Bible and just speak what God's saying. Now listen, I love those moments too, but I just want to make this clear. My actual gifting on the fivefold is, is prophet teacher. I'm a teacher. So I'm going to teach the Bible. That's going to be the norm. So when we're going through these verses, I'm teaching because I believe faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So I'm going to teach and what I want the Lord to do whenever he delights to, we're just praying that we're sensitive to it. Lord, in the midst of our commitment to teaching the word of God, throw out some of the good sauce. Give us some of those fresh, in-the-moment, revelatory words. And a lot of times that happens towards the end of the service. But just so you're not impatient, I hope that you will develop and cultivate an appetite for this. What saith the Scriptures? We need to remain a people that are committed not only to the Bible as a general principle, but to the words within that Bible, which are life to the soul that will invest and digest them. Okay, that was just a little commercial. That's a just-in-case kind of moment. And wherever it needed to land, let it land. And let's see now what verse 17 says. This cause and effect of presiding presence. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, we're going to just hunker down here for a minute. Because we're in the Bible Belt. And in the Bible Belt... There's one thing that is in large commodity, large doses. Anywhere you want to go, you can find it any day of the week. The Bible Belt is uber-religious, lots of religion. And so we, we, we draw, uh, draw a distinction between Holy Spirit ministry and religious activity. Religious activity is man-centered, it is man-sourced, it is carried out by humans. It usually lends itself to the glory of a handful of human beings, and it's more about control than anything. It's a system, and its gears are big, and they're grinding, and there's no oil on them so that whatever gets in them just gets crushed. 
And that's religion, and it's everywhere, friends. It's everywhere. By the way, keep a check on your own heart because it can get in there too. I've, I've, I've had religious wheels in my own heart before. But when we're talking about the New Testament gospel ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit, it's completely different. But it contains an element that makes a lot of people nervous, especially those that like the crunching, grinding gears of religion. It's this element of freedom. It's this element of liberty. You know, we're, we're coming up on the 4th of July, and I, did, I, I told you I intended to preach this last week. And I, when I read that, I was like, oh, it's 4th of July Sunday. Some people might be expecting me to do a 4th of July message. Well, here it is. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So you're satisfied, all right? I didn't wear red, white, and blue, but I did get the word liberty in there today. But this, this, this is a huge concept. So let's, let's just walk through this a little bit. And listen, if, if you get clinchy, if you get real tight when you hear the word liberty and freedom, like right now you're thinking, where's he going with this? Where's he going with this? Where's he going with this? You're actually the one who needs this. You, you need it more than the people that are going to amen it. Now, I'm not being ugly. I'm being trying to be helpful here, but I am going to kind of get in there for a moment because it is for freedom. According to the book of Galatians chapter number five, it is for freedom that Jesus Christ has set us free, that he didn't just set us free, you know, judicially taking our sins away so we can live as slaves of man-made religion, that he set us free and he wants us all the way free. He doesn't want us to come up halfway through what his blood has provided us for. And that freedom is found in the abundant life that Jesus promised that he came to give. And so you can be forgiven without being free. And, and it's not a happy place to live. I mean, you, listen, well, you are listening. Let me just, <laughs> let, let me just get into some of these thoughts. Okay. First of all, just, just this verse. Now this Lord is the spirit where the spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom. First thing, the Holy spirit is the personal presence of God within every believer. He is Christ in you. He is God in you. He is the Spirit in you. You can spend all day, as, as long as you want to, trying to dissect the Trinity. You're never going to come up with an adequate intellectual answer. But I want to tell you, primarily right now, Jesus is the Son of God who has a body, a corporal body. It's sitting on a throne in heaven. So in that sense, Jesus does not live in your heart. Jesus is on a throne in heaven. God the Father is in heaven, but the Holy Spirit is on earth, and you are the temple of the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit is the presence of God. He is in you. So he is in you right now. He was celebrating as we worship the Son because the Holy Spirit loves to make so much about the Son, Son of God. Uh, and, and so he's celebrating within you. That's not just human joy that you were experiencing. It's not just human dancing with your feet. You, you, know, you get a case of the can't help it. It's not just human activity. The Holy Spirit's in you. And he's, he, he's leaping within you and rejoicing in times like that. The Holy Spirit is the seal upon every Christian soul. So he seals you when you trust in Christ. Now, let's go beyond our salvation and recognize this. The Holy Spirit fills to capacity whatever is yielded to him. To what degree we yield to him, we will be filled. So I'm going to make a statement that sounds a little uh, almost kind of coarse, but it's true. You have as much of God as you want right now. You don't have any more of God than you want right now. What are you talking about, Jeff? We have all of God. Well, in one sense, yes, of course. But in another sense, we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit, so that's a capacity issue. That means be filled. So the only people that need to be filled are people that have space that's being unused. And so the, whatever we yield to Him, He's going to fill. 
And so this issue of freedom is connected also to the issue of being filled. So go further with me. Y'all don't check out yet. The Holy Spirit is also the liberator. He constantly works to empower us to live freely as we ought to live in Christ. My friends, kingdom freedom is not you get to do whatever you want. Kingdom freedom is that you're cooperating with the Holy Spirit to become everything you should. And so that's what the freedom is. Freedom isn't I get to do whatever I want, but here's the, here's, here's the other side of that coin. coin side of that corn. Hmm. Getting close to lunchtime. The other side of that coin is this, is that when you're filled with the Spirit, whatever you want to do is going to come from Him. So in that sense, you do get to do whatever you want to do. You follow me on this? No? That's okay. Listen, what does He free us? How does He free us? I mean, it's one thing for us to read the blanket statement where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Well, we've already talked about He frees us from the penalty of the law, and that's in the context of 2 Corinthians 3. That's primarily what Paul is talking about, that we're not slaves to the law. You you don't live by the, the Ten Commandments anymore. The Ten Commandments were given to reveal to you that you're not holy enough so that you would eventually seek a Savior who is holy so that grace would be your justification and not your striving to complete the Ten Commandments of the works of the law. He frees you from the power of sin because once you're saved, sin's power is broken over you and so the devil can't rob you anymore unless you open the door to that thief. You see, sin is the thief to whom we open the door. That's the only way it gets in. We are free from fear of eternity. If if you're saved here and you're filled, Jesus Christ is wanting to free you from ever fearing your eternity. It doesn't mean we stop fearing God. It doesn't mean that we don't live in reverence. It just means we don't don't cower. We don't wake up every day wondering if we're going to heaven or to hell. No, because the spirit within us, witnesses within us, testifies to us that we are the children of God. So we can also be free from such mundane things as insecurities. You know, I'm a short guy. I've always been a short guy. Always. What are you laughing at? I heard that out there. No, 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 I'm serious. I've always been the short guy. And then as I got older, I became the short round guy. And now I'm the short round guy with glasses. And now I'm the short round guy with glasses and a bald spot. I look like George Costanza if he was Irish. And so that can bring with it, we get insecure over our looks, we get insecure over our our income level, we can get insecure over all sorts of stuff. But when you're moving in the Spirit and you are drawing your identity from Him and you look at the outward man that the Bible says is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed by day, day by day, you don't live according to the value that other people place upon you. You live in the joy and the surrender of, I am who I am by the grace of God and the grace of what was bestowed upon me is not in vain, as Paul would testify later. So friends, I'm going to tell you something. The the Holy Spirit is the key to freeing you from your insecurities. He'll draw you into something so gloriously good, you won't even think about what's lacking in you anymore because you'll say, oh, he says this about me. He says this about the kingdom. He says this about my relationship with the Father. We're also freed by the Holy Spirit from accusation, intimidation, and condemnation. Um, You don't have to listen to the devil. Matter of fact, some of you just need to make up your mind to tell him, in the name of Jesus, by the authority of the blood of Jesus Christ upon your life, tell him to shut up. Amen. Because he has to. When you invoke the name of Jesus, the only reason he keeps accusing you is because it's working. And if you'll stop listening to it, he will change tactics. He might not leave you alone completely, but he'll know, oh, this woman's so rooted in her identity in Jesus that these accusations just aren't working anymore. We're going to have to go back to the war room and draw up a new strategy for her life. 
Yeah. Not only what he enslave, uh, frees us from, but what he frees us to. And that's probably just so huge. We typically think, I am free from. Well, okay, but if you don't figure out what you're free unto, you're just going to be standing there. You're going to be saying, I got this two-by-two little parcel of freedom. Man, I'm I'm free from all of that. Well, wait a minute. He frees you to move with him into greater freedom. So, freedom to rejoice. You can rejoice. Matter of fact, we're actually commanded to rejoice. And I appreciate all of you, and some of you are introverts, and it's just not your style. I get that. But the Bible commands you to rejoice. So if you're not doing it publicly, you better be doing it in private. Amen? Because he is worthy of our joy. You don't have to do your thing here at the church, but I'm going to tell you something. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And so it's the byproduct of being filled with the Spirit. And and I'm going to tell you, when I talked about that capacity, sometimes you'll get so full of joy that you can try to keep it in, and it won't work. My son was giving me a hard time the other day. (laughs) Sometimes, and I may not be telling you something you don't know, but sometimes I'll just get hit in worship. And it comes hard and it comes quick and I'll just go, oh! If you sit on the first six rows, you're like, yeah. (laughs) We hear you, man. Landon told me the other night, he goes, or I think it was Wednesday when we got home, he goes, Dad, you did your loudest whoa ever. I said, son, it didn't have anywhere to go. It had to come out, man. It's just, it's that joy. So he frees us to rejoice. He frees us to love. He frees us to forgive. He frees us to become holy. You're actually not bound to those sinful recurring habits. You're actually not. You need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And guess who will do that renewing? The Holy Spirit will. You've got to yield him. Whatever you yield to him, he fills. And when he fills something and it remains, and you remain filled in that state, he's going to free you up. You'll, you'll live a holier life without trying when you're full of the spirit than you ever lived when you were keeping all the rules. He'll free you to, to bold faith. Uh, this is a generation that's going to need to hear bold Christians. That does not mean obnoxious. It means unapologetically loving and clear. He will free you up to be a person who is receiving greater wisdom and revelation. Everybody in the body of Christ gets to be wise if they want to be. You know, uh, some of us were not the best students in the world. Being wise and being smart are not the same thing. You can be an academic genius, but be as unwise as possible. And you can be a dullard, so to speak, and still have the wisdom of the kingdom. It just depends on what you want to do. You want to be filled by him, with him. The Holy Spirit says, I will make you wise. Uh, the wisdom and the revelation. Listen, God wants to share what he's doing in this generation through, through some of you. No, I mean it literally. There are some of you that he's saying, I want you to start asking me for revelatory wisdom. I want you to start asking me for words of knowledge. I want you to start pursuing prophecy as the scripture commands us to pursue it above all the other gifts. Why? Because God's got a lot to say. And I'll say this, there's a shortage of willing mouths that we are the body of Christ. And if we will be filled and we will be freed, we will also be those who speak his wisdom. There's so many other things we could say about what God frees us unto. Let me just move on to this last point and, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up here in a moment. I'm going to say this. This has got a little bit of an edge to it. Just the last little bullet point under the cause and effect of his, his presiding presence. If you don't live with a sense of holy freedom, you need deeper encounter and resulting fullness with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I'm not being mean or indicting there. I'm trying to be helpful. If you don't live with a sense of joyful freedom, that means that something is acting as a false master in your life because you're, you're, you're sensing enslavement on some level. Now, you may be fully functional. You may be happy most of the time, but you live in a sense of fear. There's a, there's a thread of fear that runs through you at all times, and maybe it's fear of disappointing people or fear of making a mistake or, or fear of not being enough. I don't know. It could be a lot of different fears. It could be fear of eternity. It could be you know fear of failure. There's just so many things out there to provoke our fear. But the fullness of the Holy Spirit leads to the freedom of the Holy Spirit. And so what I want to counsel you just in this brief moment to do is if you don't sense joyful freedom as being a characteristic in your life, I'm going to ask you to do something that maybe you don't even know how to do, and that makes you better qualified to receive it. What do I mean? If we don't know how to do this, we are better candidates to receive it as the Lord does it. What am I talking about? You seek encounter with him. He's not playing peekaboo with his children. He doesn't do hide and seek. We're the ones that do that. We're the hiders. He's the seeker. God doesn't hide from his, his children that really want to encounter him. Remember, Moses said, I don't want to go anywhere if you're not in the midst. Don't, don't send us if you're not going with us. And Lord, show me your glory. That's our heart. And so one of the chief prayers that has brought radical change in my life about four years ago is I literally said to the Lord, I haven't shared this in a long time. I said, Lord, I need a new heart. I have maxed out the heart that I've been having. And Lord, I need you to give me a new heart. I prayed that for months. I mean, I prayed it. I didn't see any change. I didn't see any change. I didn't see any change. I started seeing gradual change. And so I prayed more into it. And eventually there was this radical encounter that there was a convergence of what was going on inside of me, what was going out inside, outside of me. But the, it all came from the fact of, Lord, I need to encounter you. I have shelves full of books. I've preached thousands of sermons, and I'm lonely with you. And he's a really, really good father. And when his lonely child said, Abba, he says, that's what I've been waiting on. And as you can imagine, there's been a level of freedom and joy that I have, uh, I've never had before. But I also confess this, it's not enough because there's more. It's not enough until it saturates my home. It's not enough until it saturates my relationships. And what I'm saying for me, I'm just saying because I'm, I'm only familiar with my testimony, but I'm saying it applies to you too. Seek encounter with him. He said, Jeff, I don't know how to do it. Good. I didn't either, but I knew I needed it. So if you go before the Lord with an honest prayer of, I don't even know what I'm seeking, but all I know is that my heart's not what it could be, and I really want you, so whatever that means, here I am. And you just keep praying that. I promise you this. I'll stake my reputation and my testimony on it. If you'll keep praying that, you will encounter him. Don't stop. Last thing, the cause and effect of ongoing transformation Scripture says in verse 18, And we all, me, you, and all other Christians, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. 
are being transformed. I want you to say this. I am being transformed. Would you say that? I am being transformed. Let's do it a couple times. I am being transformed. I am being transformed. That's every Christian. It's a blanket theological statement. It's not a request. It's not an option. You are being transformed. But notice this. It says we're being transformed into the same image. Here we go. From one degree of glory to another. So it's coming by degrees. And all of this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, this is just incredible for us. Some of us that had kind of got our feet wet in Reformed theology. I started out as an Arminian. Then I got caught up in the, the difficult, intricate gears of Calvinism for a while. And then I extracted out of that, and this, Dustin and I share this testimony. I would say that I tilt Reformed, but I'm never one of those who thinks that God's supposed to do everything for me. God's sovereign, he'll do it. I, I knew a guy who was so hyper-Calvinistic that he would let his two- and three-year-olds play in the front yard by a busy street, busy street, a thoroughfare, and he said, God's sovereign. He knows when their time is up. I wanted to jack his jaw, man. I thought, you, I'm not supposed to say that. I wanted to convince him he was wrong. <laughs> so I, I believe that the Lord, the, one of the most precious things about the Christian life is the Lord says, I want us to do this together. I'm sovereign, but in my sovereignty, I'm inviting you to participate. And actually, my child, I'm going to let you determine the level at which we function a lot of the time. So I'm going I'm to watch your hunger. I'm going to increase your desire. But ultimately, my child, you've got to pull the trigger on action. And so when we look at this, this is what I'm seeing. We're talking about transformation. Some of y'all are waiting for God to transform you. And you hadn't presented nothing to be transformed. You've been walking with the Lord a long time. And what's crazy is he is doing it, but he's not doing it as he could. Why? Because you are not engaging in the transformation process. I mean, the Bible is very clear. We are being transformed. Matter of fact, let me give you some verses let me give you some verses. Worship team, y'all coming up, just don't start playing yet. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse 49. None of this is going to be on the screen, so just listen. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. We, we, friends, we're made in the image of God in that sense, but we are also made in Adam. We are human. We are dust. We have borne his image. We have his likeness, his sin imprint. That nature was in us. And just as that is a fact, it is equally true that we're going to bear the image of the heavenly man who is Jesus Christ the Lord. You're going to be like him. Now, you're not with me yet, but I hope you're about to get there. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him. For we will see him as he is. Now that's about you, friends. Every now and then, I just want to encourage you with a you moment according to, to God's word. God says, you're going to be like my son. It doesn't mean that we're going to be cookie cutter. It doesn't mean we're going to have the exact same appearance, whatever Jesus looks like. By the way, I can just tell you, he doesn't look like most of the paintings hanging in your houses. I'm just, just going to throw that in there. 
But we're not going to look like him in that sense physically, but we are going to be like him and we will see him as he is. So the teaching of scripture is there's this by degree transformation process that is happening right now in our lives. And if we want to be greatly transformed, then we need to greatly invest in surrender, yieldedness, and fullness to the transformation process and the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And to the degree that we are intentional about experiencing the, the, the exchanged life, the transformed life, we're going to experience it. But the beauty is, is no matter how much we experience it or don't experience it down here, the moment we see him, we will be brand new. We will be made like him. Romans 8, 29 says this, for, whom God, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Philippians 3, 21, God will transform our lowly body to be like Christ's glorious body by the power that enables him even to bring all things into submission to himself. And then Galatians chapter number four, Paul, this is a pastor's heart. This is my heart. This is Dustin's heart. This is your leader's heart for you. Paul wrote in Galatians 4, verses 19 and 20. He said, my little children, for whom I am in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. You see, our job is to help you want to press so deeply into Jesus that when you get there, you don't even need us anymore. That we have served our purpose because you are then outpacing and you're going into places where maybe we can't. That's what a pastor does. A pastor says, we're going to put this before you. We're going to help you. We're going to magnify Jesus. We're going to call you unto deeper levels of surrender. We're going we're to tell you that he'll, he'll bless your consecration. He'll bless your sacrifice. That you are nowhere near the end of what he's doing in your life. You're just in the middle of it and he's got so much more. And what we hope is that the, the scent, the whiff of that gets in your nostrils. You ever walked into a kitchen and you weren't hungry and then you smelled something really good and all of a sudden, man, I'm hungry. Bacon, bacon. Need I say more? I can eat Thanksgiving dinner and an hour after it's over, somebody's frying some bacon. I'm like, hey, what's going on in there? It's the way it is in the kingdom. We, we just... Man, I just sense God's doing something. I hear those words, the Holy Spirit's doing. And so we want it. Let me give you these, and I'm going to be done. I know what time it is. In this verse, verse 18, it tells us who is being transformed. We all, with unveiled face. The veil's taken away. There's nothing that he has erected between you and him. All Christians are being transformed. Second thing, how we are being transformed by beholding the glory of the Lord. Seek those things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will be added unto you. Paul said, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Seek those things where Christ sits at the right hand of God. So worship, pursuit, um, the scriptures changing our minds and our hearts, community, doing it with others. God bless those that still feel like they can just walk with the Lord without any other Christians. That's not the way the Father designed it. You need believers. You need to do life with them. That's why our home groups are so important. That's why Elevate Hour is so important. That's why our corporate worship services are so important. We do a lot of media ministry, and I'm very grateful for that, but it's never meant to, to substi be substituted for being with a body, a local body of believers, because we need each other. 
the process or into what we're being transformed into the same image. We're just being made into the likeness of Jesus. He's making you like Jesus, so stop despairing. I know you're not who you want to be yet, but keep pressing in. He's not done, so you don't be done. Keep pressing in. Stop listening to the accuser tell you everything you've done wrong. If it's the devil and he's accusing you, Plead the blood of Jesus over your life. Tell him to shut up and leave you alone. Tell him to go through the master if he wants to talk to you. Tell him you have a mediator and that's your, that is your advocate and he can go to Jesus if he wants to talk to you. If you've got a human accuser, be a little more polite. Don't tell them to shut up. Don't do that. That's not going to help things. But you can say, well, I hear what you're saying and I disagree with you. And you just don't receive that stuff. Why? Because you're being made into the likeness of Jesus. It's going to happen. You're going to be perfect one day. Look at the person next to you if you're a Christian say, I'm going to be perfect one day. The process of our being transformed. Some of you are all like, I don't think so. Yeah, let me just end here. The process is from one degree of glory to another. So take some heart in that, okay? It's not a rat race. Say, Jeff, I feel like I'm behind. God has an, an incredible ability to make up for lost time. Yeah, so don't panic. He's, just, he's talking to you about today, not yesterday. He's talking about right now and tomorrow. And how is all this accomplished? Who's transforming us? This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not just about wild and wacky signs and wonders, okay? He is supernatural. He's, he's God. And his gifts are, are supernatural. But the Holy Spirit is also doing some invisible work incrementally in our lives, which is just as important as the visible manifestations. The heart work that he's doing in you, you may not see it every single day. But if you'll just keep pursuing him, this is what will happen. You pursue him for 30 days, not holding back. 30 days. And you, along the course of those 30 days, I want you to think about one or two people who love you and whose opinion you trust. And as you go hard after the Lord for 30 days and you say, Lord, I need to encounter you, I need to encounter you. And you don't tell him what that encounter looks like, by the way, because I know you, you might think you know what it looks like. No, you let him encounter you the way he wants to encounter you. At the end of those 30 days, I'm going to promise you, you may not notice something happening on day two or day nine or day 12 or day 18 or day 24. But at the end of those 30 days, you go to that person that loves you and say, for 30 days, I've been pressing into the Lord. Can you see any change that's coming from my life? And the answer is going to be yes. And then after that 30 days, you just keep pressing in and you never stop. Because then at the end of your life, it's not going to be about what that one that loves you had to say. You're going to stand before the Lord. And he's going to look at you. And he's going to say, you did really well. You are a good and faithful servant. Come in. Friends, that is what our soul longs to hear. The final and lasting affirmation of King Jesus. How does it happen? We turn to him. We're freed by the Holy Spirit, and we're transformed into his likeness. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I'm going to encourage some of you this very morning, whether you're a first-time guest or the longest-standing uh, family member here at Newbridge, I'm going to encourage you some this morning by faith just to come and press in. 
I'm not asking you to come as a husband, a father, a daughter, a son, a wife, a mother. I'm asking you to come as a Christian and just say to the Lord, Lord, I'm pressing in. I want to begin today. Take me to the next degree. Degree by degree, we're being transformed by the Spirit into that image as we behold His glory.